Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Imagine, if you would, with me, you walk into a grocery store and you're buying cereal. Now, cereal is a big issue in the BBX house. We love our cereal. Uh, unfortunately, once you get past 30, cereal's not your friend. But imagine you walk into the grocery store and you're, you're ready to buy cereal. You walk down the cereal aisle and there's two or 300 boxes of cereal, different sizes, different shapes, different colors, different advertising on the outside of the box. And you choose one that strikes your fancy. You take it home, you get your bowl, you pour that cereal in the bowl, you got your spoon ready, you got your ice cold milk poured over it, and you're ready to take that first fantastic bite of your favorite bowl of cereal. And as you put it in your mouth, you realize it's awful. It's stale. Somehow, despite all the milk that's in the cereal and the moisture, it's pulled all the moisture out of your mouth. It's so dry, and it only leaves you wanting something that will truly satisfy you. So you go back to the store, you return the cereal, you get a different cereal with different colors, different shapes, different advertising on the outside of the box. You bring it home, and you sit down, and you open up the box, and once again, it's the same bland cereal. You do this four or five more times, you're opening boxes and you're looking inside and you're seeing this same nasty, dry stuff over and over again. At this point, you're furiously hungry. You go back to the store. You notice on the bottom shelf, there's an unassuming box of cereal. Very little advertising, looks very plain. You take it home, you open it up, and I don't know how many Office fans we have here, but you're like Michael Scott, you're ready to be hurt again, if you've ever seen the meme. You're, you're ready for disappointment one more time. You pour in your milk, you take a bite, and it's the most fantastic thing you've ever tasted. Finally, something is truly satisfying, that inner hunger. And you come to realize this, which is my point for the day. You come to realize that what's in the box matters a lot more than what's on the outside of the box. What is in the box matters a lot more than what's on the outside of the box. In other words, the content of something is far more important than the form it takes. My name is Jameson. I'm one of the pastors here at Convergent Church. And if you're joining us for the first time, we've been walking through a series on the book of Galatians called Freedom Through Faith. And today we have the privilege of actually um, finishing up the last verses of this book. This is the last sermon in the series. It's taken us 19 weeks, but I think it's been an awesome, awesome journey. So coming to the end of this letter, Paul is really going to be returning to some of these basic themes that he's shown throughout the book. And he'll contrast for the last time, which is something we've talked about so often, the difference between true Christianity and the religion of the Judaizers. So for some of you who don't know, the Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians, and we say Christians in quotation marks because they really believed in a different gospel. They believed that man can be saved by their own works and not by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I believe that Paul is really going to leave us today with a very simple question, and it's this, am I really a Christian? Simple but huge. Am I really a follower of Jesus? Do I really trust in Christ's sacrifice for me through faith alone for my salvation? Today I'm going to have three points. They're going to be very simple. Content is greater than form. Inward is greater than outward. 
and God is greater than man. So we are in Galatians 6. Let's start with verse 11 with our first point. Content is greater than form. Paul says this. He says, see with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. Now, Paul doesn't explain to us what he means by this verse, only that, of course, he's writing in his own hand. We know that it was Paul's habit of hiring a scribe to do his writing for him, which was pretty common in his day and age. Uh, many scholars have different interpretations about this verse, but it's, it's really reasonable to just to take it as this. We know that it's connected to the previous admonition, which Dan preached last week, which was to do good to all people, especially within the household of faith, to reap to faith and not to the flesh, reap to the spirit, um, and that we would sow uh, and reap spiritual fruit. So we know it's connected to that. Paul is going to show us his last sort of uh, impending warning against this group of Judaizers. So some have interpreted this verse to, to really think that Paul is a man of poor eyesight, that he has trouble with his eyes. In, in 2 Corinthians 2.7, uh, he speaks about a thorn in his flesh. Earlier in this book, in uh, verses uh, chapter 4, 13, Paul had said that the reason he had actually ended up in Galatia, the reason he touched down there, was because of a bodily illness. Now, we're not 100% sure what that sickness was, but he does say earlier in the chapter as well that the Galatians loved him so much, they had such an affection for Paul, that if they could have, they would have plucked their own eyes out and given to them. So some people have interpreted it as this. Paul is simply a man who suffers from sickness of the eyes, and he's writing in large letters because it's literally the only way he can see what he's doing. So that's one interpretation. The second is this. Some say that these large letters refer to what we call Greek unseals. They are large, unconnected block letters. We might see them as like bubble letters, something that we might put on a billboard, and they were used for public notices and decrees. See, the scribes who wrote Paul's letters would have used very professional script. They were hired for this. And it's believed by some that Paul may have even written the entire letter in his own hand in a rather unprofessional manner. Not necessarily in these large letters, but that Paul was the actual writer of this letter, which if you know much about the New Testament letters, they were often written by scribes. He likely wrote in his own hand to really ensure that as he finished this letter, the Galatians were convinced that the letter was authentic, that it was actually from Paul. Because the Galatians had a habit of counterfeit. They believed in a counterfeit gospel. But another insidious and dubious thing that they would do is they would write counterfeit letters to the church in the names of Paul and Peter. And to get them to believe in false doctrine, to disrupt the church. So Paul was writing in his own hand so that they would know it was from him. And really, I believe this statement is Paul's attempt simply to emphasize content over form. I believe Paul is writing in a way that's deliberately unattractive, sort of the way an artist might paint something that's not perfect. He might paint it flawed, and to do so, to send a message to the Galatian believers about the nature of the true gospel and what true gospel messengers look like. It's as if Paul is saying, because of my poor eyesight, it's hard for me to write on my own, but what I had to say to you is so urgent that I didn't have time to hire a scribe for this. I need you to have these words as soon as possible. 
and I've written these words so they cannot be mistaken. Look at the large letters I'm writing with, and I've done so with my own hand to verify that this letter is from me. He's saying, my brothers and sisters in Galatia, unlike the Judaizers who prize an outward appearance, who prize form over content, I've never attempted to swindle you at all. I've never attempted to make myself out to be more than I am. When I first came to you, I came in humility. I came in sickness. I came unattractive. I came to you with no great skill or eloquence, but I came to you with a great and powerful gospel message that was unattractive to many, but many of you believed in it. And he's saying, this letter, it's not attractive either. This letter isn't written with great skill. But I pray that you receive it just as you have received me and just as you have received the gospel. Paul wants us to get this point that what's inside the box, not what something looks like on the outside, but what's going on inside is more important. Let's look at what he says in verse 12. He says this, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross. Here we have our second point. Inward is greater than outward. What's going on on the inside is greater than what's going on on the outside. Now, for those of you who, who need a little bit of context, these Judaizers came into the church, and they wanted the Galatians to believe that they could be saved by works. And the one work that they prized the most was circumcision, the cutting away of the, the flesh of the foreskin which was meant to symbolize really the cutting away of the hardened flesh of the heart. It was a symbol. It had no actual merit to save, but the Judaizers said, essentially, in order for you to come to Jesus, you have to first do this outward ceremonial work. And Paul is saying that the reason they're making you do this is because they want to make a good showing in the flesh. And I think Paul draws us to an important question, which is this, am I a Christian inwardly or only outwardly? Am I a Christian inwardly or only outwardly? Paul says that these Judaizers who prized circumcision and ceremonies and rituals and cleansings and religious observances as the basis of their faith, did so simply to make a good showing in the flesh. They desired the praise of men, and these men were full of pride. And Jesus has a whole lot to say about men like this. In, in Matthew chapter 6, he gives a harsh warning to those in the habit of making a good showing in the flesh. In Matthew 6.1, he tells us to beware of practicing our righteousness before others. That when we practice our righteousness, when we make a good showing in the flesh, our reward is the praise of men. It's you looking at me and going, man, look how righteous, look how kind, look how humble, look how faithful Jameson is. And Jesus says, Jameson, when you do that, when you make a good showing of yourself so that people admire you, that's your reward. Not my delight. In verse 2, he says that when giving to others, when we're, when we're doing tangible good works, when we're giving to others in need, he says to not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. And he does this, he says this, so we don't come 
puffed up with pride and begin to seek the approval of man around us. In verse 5, he says, you know, when you're praying, he says, don't do so loudly. These Judaizers, these Pharisees, these scribes, they're all sort of the same group. They would have this habit of going out on street corners, and they would boisterously pray loudly and say, oh God, thank you for all, thank you for giving me the affluence to be able to help these wretched people. Thank you for not making me like this person. And they would go on the street corners and they would pray this way. And Jesus says, no. He says, we don't pray that way. We don't pray long, eloquent, impressive prayers so that people would see us. But in the seclusion of our prayer closets, in the quiet where God is, that we should pray there. And he says that our Father will hear us from heaven and that will be our reward. Jesus says, when fasting, to wash your face, to not look downtrodden, don't look sick. The, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Judaizers, they would fast and they would cover themselves in ashes and they would make themselves look as terrible as they possibly could so that people would look at them and go, oh man, he's really sacrificing a lot. He's really giving up a whole, whole lot. And Jesus says, no, wash your face. Don't be unkempt. Don't be righteous so that other people would see your righteousness and give you praise, inquire after your works, and commend you for them. Jesus has a very, very harsh, harsh thing to say to men like this. In, in Matthew 23, 27 to 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which appear outwardly beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. When we practice our righteousness and we want others to see us as great, it's only our flesh attempting to make us feel good about ourselves. It's our flesh convincing us to show these outward displays of righteousness that ultimately require no inward righteousness on our part. It's an outward display that requires no real heart change on my part. We put on a show of this outward holiness while Christ is predominantly concerned with his righteousness dwelling within us. When we do this, we're like whitewashed tombs. We're beautiful. We're spotless on the outside. Our beard's oiled, right? It's trimmed up. We've got good clothes on, but inside we're full of death and decay. Jesus said that these kinds of people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I'd like you to ask this question for yourself. You know, is that me? Am I this kind of person? Am I attempting to seem outwardly holy all the while neglecting to practice this inward holiness that God so desires of me? Do I honor Christ with the pretense of my lips? Are my actions simply so people would see how great I am? All the while, I have little desire to know or trust or glorify Christ. Are we whitewashed tombs? 
glistening white on the outside, but filled with the stench of disobedience and hypocrisy on the inside. This might seem heavy, church, but I just want to let you know, I've been a Christian for about 13 years. Probably the first seven years of walking with Jesus, that was me. That was me. Deeply concerned with how people looked at me. Deeply concerned with the outside and neglecting to take care of what's going on on the inside. As Dan preached last week, neglecting to sow to the Spirit. Neglecting to sow holiness, righteousness, faith in Christ. And you know, the scary part is really anyone can learn to do this. Like, being a Christian outwardly isn't that hard, especially when we attach our standing before God to our works. When I begin to believe that instead of Jesus' death on the cross and the righteousness that he paid for me, that that's what saves me, that's what gets me in the family, that's what makes me right before God, when I neglect to believe that and I think that my good works on a day-to-day basis are what keeps me in the family, that God looks at me and says, you know, Jameson, you're just killing it, man. You're still in the club. When When I begin to attach my identity to my performance, it's so easy. I mean, really, what we can just say is, you know, in order to be a Christian, all you have to do is get, get dunked, like don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't listen to rap music, and if you can make a mean casserole for the potlucks, like, <laughs> you're in. But these things are outward. They're superficial. And the most ungodly person can really become very skilled at them. It's so easy to to feign a deep sincerity and love for God while inwardly we might not even be Christians. We might not even be saved, but we're puffed up with pride and we're wanting others to view us favorably. And Paul says, you know, pride is not even the only motivation of these kinds of men. He says, he says, He gives us another reason the Judaizers pressed this ritual of circumcision upon the Galatians. He says that the reason these Judaizers claim the name of Christ but don't trust in Christ alone or really seem concerned about the glory of Jesus is because they fear that they're going to be persecuted like Jesus. They fear that they're going to be persecuted like the Savior was persecuted. I mean, they'll use his name. They'll attend his church. They'll put a cross bumper sticker on the back of their car. They'll listen to Caleb all the way to work and back. But they won't suffer personal loss. They won't suffer a deflated ego or a lower position or the shame and anger of others when they're identified with Jesus. See, the cross was not merely an instrument of death. It was that but the cross's purpose was to humiliate and degrade. That was its point. It wasn't, its point was not only to kill, but to shame the man on the cross. That's what the cross did. It shamed the man on the cross, and shame it did. And even to this day, shame it does, because when sinful people hear the gospel, the true gospel, they hate it. I know I did when I first heard it. You mean to tell me that there's nothing I can do to be saved? You mean to tell me that I'm separated from God because of my fundamental failure? You mean to tell me that God is actually angry about the things I'm doing? And you mean to tell me that I have to cry out to this God in grace in order to be saved? You mean to tell me that I can't save myself? I'm not good enough the way I am? And that flies in the face of so much modern teaching. 
We hear that. We hate it because the cross tells us the truth about ourselves. The cross tells me the truth about who I am, fallen, and never had a chance of saving myself. Not for a single millisecond. And we could be sure that if there was any amount of law-keeping or rituals or ceremony or circumcision or any of that that we could have done to be saved, there would have been no need for the cross. If I could have saved myself, there would have been no need for Jesus to die for me. Church, the cross was necessary because of me. It was necessary because of us. John Stott says this. He says, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I'm here because of you. It's your sin I'm bearing. It's your death I'm dying. It's your cup I'm drinking. It's your curse I'm suffering. It's your debt I'm paying. And nothing in all of heaven and earth cuts us down to size like the gospel. Because when I look on the cross, I don't see the shame of Christ, but I see the shame of Jameson. I see the shame of myself. It's my shame on that cross. It's not his shame that hangs there. It's mine. The wounds of Christ, though he suffered them in his body, though he was beaten and he was tortured on my behalf, he felt those wounds, but those are wounds on my pride. And this is not at all the way that Judaizers viewed the cross. When they heard that you must trust in the sacrifice of Jesus alone, what they did is they constructed a version of Christianity that could be had without the cross of Christ. It was a version of Christianity that did not need the cross. It was crossless. Now, I heard a story after World War I. They held peace talks in the city of Paris, so the Allies invited many of these Middle Eastern and Arab tribes to this just lavish motel that many of them had never stayed in anything like this before. And during their stay, they were astounded to, to go into their hotel rooms and turn a faucet and see that they could, they could create fresh living water and they would fill up the bathtubs and they would fill up the sinks and they were just absolutely astounded by this. After the peace talks had concluded, the delegates returned to the hotel only to find out that these, these Arab men had stolen all the faucets in the hotel. They'd stolen all the faucets in the hotel. And when one of the delegates went to them and asked, like, why'd you do this? They said, well, we took them because we wanted to bring fresh water to our people. We wanted to bring fresh water to our villages. And that's when the delegate said, no, you, you can't just turn the faucet. The faucet has to be connected to the source. You can't just, you have to connect it to a water source. You see, the Judaizers desired the power and the prestige and the protection of the name of Jesus without being connected to the source. They wanted the title of Christian without actually being one. Then threw away the cross. The cross that identified so deeply with the death of Jesus and made salvation possible 
Paul told his son in the faith, Timothy, this. He said, he said, these kind of men have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. They look holy. They look righteous. They look godly, but there's no power there. They deny the necessity of the cross for themselves. And I, I just want you to ask yourself, my heart is so burdened right now for this. Is that me? Do I desire the power and the prestige in the name of Jesus without the connection to that power? Do I desire the, the title of Christian to identify with God's people without actually being a part of God's people, without actually saying, no, that cross is for me, and placing my faith in that? Is that my form of Christianity? Is, 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 is the way I'm living my life crossless? I pray it's not. Paul moves on to say this in verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So we see that not only were these Judaizers prideful and, and cowardice, but they were also hypocrites. He says, yes, they're circumcised. Yes, they have this outward appealing of, of, of holiness. Yes, they have these human works of notoriety, but they don't keep God's law from the heart. They don't desire to do what God says. They simply desire to do what keeps them comfortable. They desire to do what keeps them in the club. And they boast in their circumcision while their hearts are still hard. They're far away from God. And they boast in this simple act. And their only desire is to gain more and more followers to put their form of ungodliness on display so they might boast about it. So they might be able to say, I have more followers than Paul. My religion must be legitimate. Jesus said this. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus said, when you have a form of, of Christianity that's outward but not inward, and you teach people to believe that, not only are you destined for eternal separation from God, but you're making them twice as destined. The only reason these men wanted the Galatians to submit to circumcision was not so that the Galatians could be justified before God. They didn't care about that. They didn't care about anybody having peace with God. They didn't care about anybody finding freedom through their faith. They didn't care about anyone being free. They only wanted it so that they could be justified before people. It's like Instagram followers. <laughs> That's what they wanted. They wanted all their followers and all their little cronies around them so they could say yes, and they could nod their heads to one another and say, yes, we are the most holy. Yes, we are righteous, are we not? That's all they wanted. Look what Paul says in verse 14. This is such a huge stark contrast between this outward Christianity that prizes being seen and this inward Christianity that, that prizes knowing God and loving God and being a part of his family. Look what Paul says. He says, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, to which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, you know, I was once like these men. 
I was once prideful. I was once boastful. I once believed I was saved by my works. I once believed I could keep the totality of the law. As a matter of fact, I was so righteous and so zealous for this law that I actually persecuted the people who had a true faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, I could never boast in anything about myself. My only boast is the cross that prevails for me. That's it. He says, and I love it, at the end of this letter, he's written this this huge treatise to get people to believe in justification through faith alone. And at the end of the letter, he says, Paul is nothing. Jesus is everything. That's what he's saying here. In identifying with Jesus, he sees himself as crucified to the world and the world to him. Paul has said, the world and I have parted ways. I do not care at all what anybody thinks about me. All I care about is knowing Jesus, loving him, running my life for his glory. All I care about is that he would be glorified. He is my treasure. He is my prize. He satisfies me. And I am not looking for what other people think about me, but my heart is centered on this fact. God is delighted in me. And God's not delighted in me because of what I do. And I think some of you need to hear that. I've been preaching hard for a minute, but some of you need to hear that. Look, God is not delighted in you because of the things you do. God's delight is based on this simple fact. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone, he went to a cross. He died on that cross. He rose after three days, and he ascended into heaven. He did all this so that you could be reunited with God. And the basis of your faith is this. He was faithful when you were not. Gosh, and it's so beautiful because when we place our faith in his faithfulness, God says, my delight is now in you. I now look at you as if you were my perfect son. And God says that's available to us by grace, unmerited favor. We don't have to work for it. All we have to do is trust in it. And I love the song that we we sang. Jesus, Jesus, yesterday, today, forever, you're the same. Everlasting, never failing, you are the same. That's the beautiful thing about this faith. My salvation's not based on how strong my faith is in Jesus. My salvation is based on how faithful Jesus was. And that's what Paul is saying. So in seasons when we struggle, in seasons when we doubt, in seasons when we sin deeply and we fall before God, what we don't do, and and Dan said this so many times, we don't attempt to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and work hard to get God to delight in us. What we do is we go back to the gospel And we go, no, 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 no. The Lord delighted in me when he looked on Christ. That's where my faith is. He delighted in me when I was yet a sinner, yet his enemy. And by grace, he saved me. And so we go back to the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not boasting in anything about me. That's where my identity is, and I don't care what people think about me. And so ask yourself this. Do you still live life under the constant fear of what others might think about you? Do you still live in the Instagram world? Do you still live attempting to work so that other people would approve of you when 
at this very moment, you have heavenly approval. You have heavenward approval, church. You don't need their approval. You have God's. Have you embraced your new identity as Paul had? An identity that centers upon the cross of Christ and what he did? He goes on to say in verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor circumcision but a new creation. He says it doesn't matter if you were circumcised or uncircumcised. Those are outward. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you've been made new by God. And this is Paul's main point throughout the entire letter. Like if you're leaving this series of Galatians and you take away one thing, take away this, take away this, that God is greater than man. And that's Paul's point. What matters is not what we do on the outside, but what God has done on the inside of this man. And what God has done on the inside was a gift of total divine grace. We are not what we once were, church. And that's because God purposed for us to change. It wasn't because I woke up one day and said, you know what I'd like today? I'd like to be righteous. I think today I'll decide to be a good person. No, I was dead in my sin. I was wandering off in the world. And God in grace looked down on a man like me and said, that one's mine. Come here. And I came in his grace, pulled my heart to him. And I was found there. The most important thing is that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that we believe in Christ, and that as we do this, we're taking on the image of his Son, and what defines you now is not your outward appearance, church. It's not your religious observances. It's not ceremonial cleansings. It's not church rituals, but what defines you now is that if you're in Christ, you're not a whitewashed tomb. You're actually clean on the inside. Because the Holy Spirit lives there and God has made you clean from the inside out. You're made new and that's God's doing and so we glory in him alone. Paul says this in 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I mean, the Christian gospel has always been one of, of content over form. It's inward over outward. It's God over man. It's the most glorious thing about the Christian message is its ability to just span generations and time to apply its message to any culture of people because all people have sinned. We're all separated from God and all of us require the saving grace that only God can provide. And this makes the gospel message timeless. There's never been a, think about this, there's never been a single human on the face of the earth save Jesus Christ that did not need the gospel, ever. There's never been one, not a queen, not a president, not a pope. Never. They've all needed it. It's a timeless message. And because there's only one person who can merit God's approval, Jesus, the only person who can reunite us to God, the message of the gospel is for every person. It's the only saving message that says, I can be accepted by God, not based on my own work, but faith in Jesus Christ alone. And thus Christians throughout all ages across continents of all colors, amongst all cultures of, all, of both genders, will look different on the outside. Like a Christian in Africa does not look like a Christian in Owasso. 
And then a Christian in Africa does not look the same as a Christian in China, but they had the same spirit living inside of them. And as they continue to believe and follow this gospel and trust in Christ, they will ultimately take on the image of the one Savior. The thing that unites us is, is not outward appearance, but the fact that we are all saved and taking on the image of Jesus. You see, every other religion, every other religion, requires that we do something, most of them many things in order to gain divine acceptance. But only the true gospel says it does not matter what you've done, and it doesn't matter who you are, it does not matter what you look like, it does not matter how weak you are or how strong you are, but what matters at a fundamental level is who God is and what he has done in your life. That is what matters. My friends, what's inside the box matters so much more than what's on the outside of the box. And all who live with this understanding are God's true people. That's what, that's what Paul means when he says the Israel of God. All of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that is God's family. That is the true Israel. They are saved by faith. They are sealed by the Spirit. And it spans all time. Let's finish up with these last two verses. In verse 17, he says this, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. I just love that Paul is like, everyone shut your mouths. I'm done. He's like, I'm done. Don't cause me any more trouble about this. Paul's life and ministry were evidence that he did not lead a crossless life. He did not prize superficiality. He did not think about what was on the outside of the box. He thought about what was on the inside of the box. According to his account in 2 Corinthians, he'd been beaten numerous times. He received 39 lashes from the Jews five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was once stoned, not to mention the numerous imprisonments, floggings, and shipwrecks for the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul was the real deal. Paul was sold out. He didn't care what anybody thought about him. Outwardly, he was not an impressive man. We know he was not eloquent in speech. He did not look powerful. He was incredibly humble. If you saw Paul in this day and age, you would probably look on a man and pity him. Paul traded the outward trappings of pride and wealth and prestige and influence and notoriety. He traded those for rags, but the rags that he wore were as if they were the robes of Christ himself. He didn't care about that. And for all of us who love Jesus, who open the gospel, I just, I need you to know this. In one way, shape, or form, you will face trials like Paul. One day, if you truly trust in Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted for that testimony. Whether it's actual beatings, whether it's words, whether it's disfavor in the workplace, whether it's losing friends or family, you will be persecuted for your testimony. But my prayer is that we would not fold to pressure like the Judaizers did. That we would not fold the way some of the Galatians did. And consider so much what people may think of us if they see us ashamed or degraded or mocked or persecuted. That we would not be tempted to lead an empty, crossless life as some of them had. But to remember the words of the Apostle John. He says this in 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. As we close and as we leave the book of Galatians, remember this. The treasure that you have inside of you 
is greater than anything the world can offer you. Anything. No amount of money, no amount of power, no amount of notoriety can compare to what God has already done in you and promises you in the future. And this is the grace of God who looks on sinful men and redeems them, who looks inward and restores, and who invites us into freedom through faith. And I'd love to end this message with verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Blessed Lord, we're so very thankful for the gospel. Lord, we, we know that we were undeserving. I know this was a heavy message, God. But Lord, the depths of our sin have been matched and even exceeded by the depths of your grace and love for us. Lord, we know that we cannot out your love and grace for us if we are in Christ. And so, Lord, we so hope in that. We so boast in that. But as we leave the, the book of Galatians, let us be a church that simply says, far be it from me to boast in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. Far be it from me to think what people would, would think about me, but instead to have my eyes heavenward and to think on the delight that you already have for us, God. Lord, thank you for giving us a people. Lord, thank you for giving us the gospel which is so central and so true and so needed in this day and age. Lord, help us to forever be a gospel faithful church. Lord, that we would preach heavy against sin. Lord, that we would preach a true gospel, but Lord, that we would also be tender with sinners, of which each one of us is. Lord, help us never to be haughty. Lord, help us never to be self-righteous. But when we look at one another, that we would see a room full of people who deserved a cross but instead got grace. Lord, help us to rest there. We love you. You're so kind, faithful, and merciful. In Jesus' name, amen.